Hello, and welcome to the 22nd episode of the Ocean Decade Show, a podcast dedicated to guiding you down the yellow brick road of this global initiative to transform the ocean, housed within the American Shoreline Podcast Network family. My name is Taylor Gales, and I'm your host and tour guide on our adventure through the ocean decade. So ever since I was at NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, working on the ocean decade, the elephant in the room about the decade has been the funding. Uh, as I've said before on this show, the Ocean Decade is not a United Nations funding mechanism, <laughs> and the small but mighty UN team that organizes and facilitates and really makes the Ocean Decade happen from that kind of central UN space is not set up to fund all the great work that they're coordinating and facilitating. And it's honestly not the best use of their time and resources. That's something that I really discovered in my as my career has pro- uh, progressed in the ocean space is that you know, we, we need specialists. We need uh, not everyone to be a generalist and we need people who are good at fundraising and good at allocating funds to do that work. Uh, but funding is still a huge issue. So if it's not the UN body doing it, you know, it's still a big issue, it, especially if we want to catalyze transformational change uh, in what we know about the ocean and how we manage and relate to the ocean. So if we want to do that, we need a transformation too in how we finance ocean work in general and the type of ocean work we do in particular, that if we feel like there's something that needs to be transformed in the ocean space, part of that is due to where the money goes and how much money goes where. Uh, so it's kind of a natural step back from the work itself to, well, where does the money come from that helps us do that work? Uh, so recognizing the massive challenge of how we finance uh, the innovative and sustainable development-minded projects being born from the ocean decade. There's been several conversations and convenings even before the decade was launched. I know in um, 2020, right when I started my fellowship, uh, my mentor, Liz Terpek, had did a very last trip to somewhere foreign, I honestly can't even remember now, uh, which was one of the first foundation kind of convenience of the decade right before COVID <laughs> shut everything down. So we, the Ocean Decade team and the Ocean Decade framework have been thinking about funding for a while. Uh, so there's been these convenings launched to bring together the philanthropic community to try to answer the very basic but essential question of funding the science we need for the ocean we want. In June 2022, uh, 18 philanthropic foundations met in Buk. Nadal, oh, I know I should have pronounced that. I did this. Oh my gosh. You, you, if any of you watched me at the Own Ocean Conference live <laughs> over the the summer when I was facilitating, I practiced this beforehand and I still got it wrong. The foundations were in Morocco and then I'll let someone who can better pronounce it, hopefully Mark, <laughs> when he comes in, can better pronounce it more so than I can. But they met as part of this foundations dialogue of the ocean decade an informal global network of company, corporate, and private foundations that have chosen to work together to support the vision of the decade in an effort to continue the conversation around this question of funding and funding transformational ocean work. One of those foundations that participated in these dialogues and has been a really key partner all along is the very aptly named the Ocean Foundation, which is the only community foundation for the ocean. And I'll ask my guest about what that means in a little bit and about the work that he and TOF, our acronym of the month is back, the Ocean Foundation, TOF, do for the Ocean Decade. Uh, So joining me on the podcast this month is Mark Spaulding, president of the Ocean Foundation. Mark is an expert on international environmental policy and law, ocean policy and law, and coastal and marine philanthropy. 
In addition to leading the Ocean Foundation, Merck is a member of the Ocean Studies Board of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, which you may know is the host of the U.S. National Committee for the Ocean Decade. <laughs> so Merck is really Ocean Decade through and through uh, in all of his professional capacities. So Merck, thank you so much for, for being on the show this month. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me and, and I look forward to the conversation. Awesome. So tell us about, you know, I gave you your illustrious introduction and bio that I can find online to make sure that I mention all the key highlights, but who are you and what's been your path to the Ocean Decade? I am uh, the head of the Ocean Foundation. I started as a, a lawyer um, working uh, in San Francisco in bank fraud. And so money and figuring out where money went and, and how it was spent has been you know my life's work uh, in, a, in a funny sort of a way. First on the side of chasing down money that had gone missing and in bank fraud, then working for the Inter-American Development Bank, chasing money uh, and looking where money had been spent for their grants and, and other programs as part of an external review office. And now working in philanthropy where we're trying to make money go places, make sure it goes to the right places. Uh, because of that, uh, a very good friend of mine, Craig McLean, who was one of the chairs of getting the Ocean Decade started, introduced me to the folks at, at UNESCO IOC and said, you guys have got to talk about the funding issue here. You've got to think through how philanthropy can play a role, including in triggering other kinds of money. Uh, and, and that led to a whole set of meetings ultimately in the Foundation's Dialogue meeting just this June in, in Buknadel, Morocco. There we go. I knew you'd have it. Craig was uh, you know, such a mentor to me during my time at NOAA's, was uh, working under him and his passion for the decade has brought so many people in. So I'm glad that, that you're one of them. You're, you're, I don't know, you probably know this, you are kind of a... Uh, a vision in the ocean, in the ocean community. A lot of people know you and know of you. And so it was great to get to meet you in person at the UN Ocean Conference this year. And would love to hear, you know, we've done a couple recap episodes of what, how that conference went. And so what did you think of that, you know, in the first really gathering of ocean decade people in, in any sort of big substantial way since, since it kicked off? As, as always happens with these big UN meetings, it was chaos, uh, uh, organized chaos um, and and exciting and challenging. It was so great to you know meet people like you who I'd not met before, meet old see old friends who I hadn't seen at least in two years thanks to the pandemic, and you know pick up conversations uh, that had been dropped, uh, continue conversations that had been only been done online. Uh, actually, you know touch people again. Um, it, it was really, really great. And, and the excitement was was palpable as a result. There were so many things going on in so many sides of that town that it was hard to follow everything. We were really fortunate that, that we at the Ocean Foundation brought uh, eight staff who followed different threads of that meeting. And so I think it really was an opportunity for, for us to have our organization make a difference uh, and accomplish things that were good for the ocean. Everything from, you know, plastic to ocean acidification to the ocean decade. 
Yeah, I happened to was walking back from one of the, you know, parties or things that happened in the evening and happened upon, I think, almost all of your staff, <laughs> except for you having dinner uh, together somewhere. And it was just so it, I didn't realize how big of a delegation you had brought. But that's fantastic because the Ocean Foundation really touches all parts of the ocean, which I think people could guess. But tell us a little bit more about the foundation and what does it mean to be a community foundation for the ocean? So the community foundation concept is relatively unique to the United States, um, or at least started there. We've, we have expanded it to other parts of the world. And it originally was intended to unite donors and grantees in a community. And uh, the community foundations were the intermediaries between those donors and, and grantees. And it was very geographical. So the New York Community Trust focused on New York, the San Diego Foundation on San Diego. And in those instances, they did everything that the donors needed, arts, science, healthcare, you name it. We decided to take that model and have no geographic limits. We're global but we would have thematic limits. We only do coastal and ocean conservation. So we help donors accomplish the philanthropy they want. We help projects be incubated, and we do a few projects of, of our own on ocean acidification, blue carbon, uh, chemistry of plastic, blue economy, underwater cultural heritage. So it's a, it's a really exciting space that we work in. Yeah, that's... Uh a really f fascinating way to approach an issue, you know, but thematically versus, you know, geographically and all these different things, because, uh, as I often, I don't know if you get annoyed during world ocean month, when you see the S on the end of <laughs> world oceans month, it's like, there's one ocean. Yes, so I do. <laughs> and we need to approach it as a comprehensive entity. So about, the funding, you know, can you tell us a little bit about philanthropic funding for the ocean overall and, and SDG 14, you know, the sustainable development goal focus on the ocean versus other areas? Cause the ocean is severely underfunded compared to other areas, correct? That's correct. That's correct. If you think about philanthropic funding, um, you know, the majority of it goes to religious causes, healthcare causes, religious causes. Uh, really? Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, people who donate for their church, oh, uh, yeah. etc. Um, it also goes heavily to uh, athletic programs at academic institutions, and then secondarily to to the academic programs at academic institutions, and then sort of fifth in line is environmental conservation, and the ocean is a tiny sector of that. So there's very little money relative to the scale, right? 71% of the world is ocean, um, then is, is, is needed to, to address this problem. And that's part of the reason we created the Ocean Foundation was to create a new avenue, a new way to, uh, for people to give, for people to care, to introduce them to the opportunity to do philanthropy uh, around the the ocean, and in our twenty years of, of history, we've raised um, almost a hundred million dollars uh, for uh, ocean philanthropy. SDG fourteen is also something that is is lower, uh, less financed, underfinanced than it probably be should be. 
Um, the, the aid for sustainable blue economy or SDG 14 represents only about 1% of global official development assistance. What is missing so far are investments from some of the multilaterals, private banks, and, and industry. We're beginning to see it start, but it's, it's, it's still, um, you know, a place for growth. And this is despite, you know, what I see is an enormous economic opportunity represented by the sustainable blue economy. Yeah, exactly. When you hear banks or, you know, other financial institutions talking about new markets to, to get into, the, the ocean is one of our biggest kind of untapped markets, I think. And this is, I'm kind of jumping ahead in the questions that I had thought of for today, but I've heard the the phrase, you know, and have used it before, the phrase sustainable blue economy. But what does that phrase, you know, how do you use it? How does the Ocean Foundation use it? And how is it not extractive only? You know, I think that's a real challenge for some people who are maybe more conservation focused and who hear, you know, making use of the ocean and think it's all going to be extractive in some way? Great question. And the way I've been framing it uh, since I you know, wrote about the definition uh, in 2016 is, you know, think about what you think of when I say green business. You think of it as the subset of all business that is trying to be sustainable, trying to be green. So I want you to think when I say the phrase blue economy, that it's the subset of the ocean economy that is trying to be sustainable, trying to be blue. And that means we can exclude some kinds of extractive activities, some kinds of, of ocean economic, economic activities that are bad for the ocean. And we're trying to push money in that direction. We're trying to uh, help define the blue economy this way so that we begin to have a phrase that is meaningful in the way that green business is. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's it's just, I think, going to take time and all of our, you know, that's what we have a decade and, and more, you know, to, to think about how to reframe and rephrase that um, that really common phrase that I think is thrown around and needs uh, to be better understood going forward. And especially with, you know, the ocean decade itself, itself, if we're trying to be more thoughtful in the types of work that we fund and the types of science we get and all this sort of stuff, it needs to have this, this kind of revamp of framing. And that's what I think about the ocean decade as, is a way for us to revamp and almost rebrand the way that we think about the ocean, the way that we fund the ocean, the way that we study the ocean. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities in this next, you know, seven and a half, eight, however <laughs> many years. It's to every month that I do this show, it's like, wait, I got to recalculate and figure out how much time we have left to, to talk about all this stuff. So getting to the ocean decade itself and staying on this, this lane of funding, um, how much has been committed thus far and how far do we have to go? Like I had said at the beginning that the elephant in the room has always been the the funding. So where are we if we look at the, the Ocean Decades bank account? We had commitments of about $850 million so far at the time that the UN Ocean Conference started in June. I haven't really heard whether there were any significant uh, new commitments made at the meeting or after the meeting. But, you know, 
that sounds like a lot of money, but it is about 12% of the estimated total need. Now, we could look at this and say, okay, we're only a couple of years in and we're at 12%. That's not bad. But that's not actually how funding works, right? You, you're not going to raise $150 million a year every year, year in and year out for a decade. You really need to be landing long-term commitments. Um, and, and we also have to make sure that any commitments we get are, are uh, meet a test of additionality. Um, and, and given that most uh, nation states devote less than 2% of their research budgets to ocean sciences, there's a lot of, of opportunity here to expand and to, to give, you know, put money behind this decade effort, the science that we need for the ocean we want for sustainable development of a, a blue economy. So your answer kind of led me to two questions that w- one I'd love, uh, what is the additionality test that you had mentioned just then? So if a governments love to take something they've already planned to spend already, uh, you know, got on their books and repackage it, um, so do corporations and sometimes philanthropies do too, uh, and repackage it and relabel it and say, this is our commitment to the ocean decade or whatever. And it's not really new. It's not really additional funds. It's not really adding to the pie. It is just repackaging. And we need to you know, make sure we're not you know, playing those games here. That makes sense. And where has, you know, this 850 million, where's the money come from for the decade thus far? Is it been a pretty good mix of governments versus private sector versus philanthropy? Or what does that kind of pie chart look like? It is pretty much governments so far, uh, very little from the private sector, uh, relatively little from uh, philanthropies. Um, I, I think that governments still need to, you know, align their priorities. That it takes them uh, a long time to add something new. Um, I think the private sector, and and here we're talking about banks, insurers, investors, you know, are going to have to play a vital role in in redirecting some of their products or services towards a transition to a sustainable blue economy um, and, and finding innovative solutions that are supportive of ocean health. And then, you know, whether it be philanthropies like mine or charities or similar organizations, you know, they've got to provide some grants and, and you know, concessional financing and capital uh, to, to move things along. And, and I think that's... Um, you know, a leverage opportunity. Um, but all of this has to be done in, an, in a way jointly um, and, and, and create an enabling environment uh, for each other. And, you know, maybe the governments have helped prime the pump, but, you know, now we have to use that to get other things done. Yeah. And the different funding, you know, I think it, you mentioned before, it kind of challenges each other almost, you know, so government's going to give some and what can that do? And then private sector will give some and what can that do? And philanthropies can come in. So how, what role do all of those different 
sectors play. You know, like I know that there's no designated way that government funding should do X or private sector should do Y. But, you know, what are some of the ways that these different sectors, if you were to parse them out, how can they be most impactful with the way that they spend their money? So this is part of what we've been trying to get at. I mean, in, in the, the Buchnadel meeting, um, we presented a concept called uh, blended finance and really talked about the different roles that that could be be played by these different sources of funds. And you know, governments, you know, can can create an enabling environment, like I said before, that you know uh, provides stability, provides predictability. Um, in order to encourage mobilization of capital from other sources. Uh, the private sector, you know, uh, I, I mentioned redirecting some of the products and services, but part of that is, is you know, really thinking about this definition of blue economy that you asked about and, and saying, okay, what's investable? What's not investable? And, you know, I just participated in a, a UNEP finance initiative for the sustainable blue economy where we issued just some reports on you know seabed mining and and dredging and and other activities and said you know what you know this is not blue economy uh, you shouldn't invest in these things and I think some of that guidance will help the private sector um, and then you know the the charities and philanthropies same way you know what what does the definition tell them? They should or should not be putting money behind, and and how can they do this jointly? So you mentioned the that concept of blended finance, which you described uh, very well in the the you know the differentiations and where that came out of the Buchnadel statement. I've learned how to say it now after hearing you say it three or four times. Um, but can you give any examples of ocean projects that have used this approach, or you know where this would be appropriate, just to make it more concrete for listeners? Sure. So blended finance is the use of catalytic capital from usually public or philanthropic sources to increase private sector investment, in our case, in sustainable development. In the blue economy arena, it is about structuring the finance of an applied ocean science project, particularly in an emerging market, a developing nation or on frontier issues, new issues. It is neither itself a financial instrument nor an in solution. It's just a way of really managing risk and creating stability. For examples, we can think about um, natural uh, infrastructure, nature-based solutions to to protect the shoreline, ecosystem services, um, carbon sequestration, fisheries, aquaculture, um, ocean renewable energy, some forms of transportation and ecotourism, waste management. According to one of our colleagues at, at Convergence, which is one of the groups that monitor some of this stuff, fisheries and aquaculture and water infrastructure account for the most uh, blended ocean sustainable development transactions to date, about you know, 38% of them. Wow, that's so interesting. Why, what, why is that fact? Do you know? I think that um, a lot of our relationship with the ocean has to do with food and food security. And as a result, you know, even in philanthropy, I see 
much more money going to fisheries and aquaculture than to, say, coral reefs or seagrass. Um, and it's because, you know, we humans don't live in the ocean, but the thing that we touch most, the thing that relates to us most is the food we get from the ocean. We don't eat coral, yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah, that would a coral sandwich. We're not going to get there, hopefully. Um, so all of this, you know, is is speaking to the the level of conversations that have been developing in in the foundation space over the past few years. But what was the you know the origin of these conversations? You talked a little bit about Craig McLean, you know, getting you involved. But was he also one of the driving forces behind these foundation conversations or how did those come up with the ocean decade in particular? I think he, you know, introduced me to all of the folks at, at UNESCO IOC um, as someone who could help them with the philanthropic conversations. And I, you know, he, he then sort of said, Mark, you can do this. Can't you? Um, (laughs) I know exactly the way he says that. Yep. (laughs) And, um, Long story short, uh, with some help from Craig, some help from uh, other colleagues, we organized a, a meeting of foundations first in, in New York at UN headquarters and then uh, at an ocean observations uh, meeting in, in San Diego to try and get the West Coast funders uh, together and talk about the decade, explain to them what the decade was, uh, explain why it was important. Uh, why it you know was uh, as you mentioned in the introduction not a funding mechanism but was a, a a catalytic thing to try and you know direct all the ships in the same direction and you know we got some really um, shall I say lukewarm responses you know people who kind of came back and said okay once you all come up with a really big hairy audacious you know goal come let us know what it is or you know, if you do this, you know, call me, or if you do that, call me. And others, you know, frankly, understandably, and for some reasons, you know, I don't know about doing something with the UN. I'm not comfortable with that, you know, sort of sort of thing. But we got enough of of a taste of you know people being willing to come to meetings and 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 talk to us, uh, talk to the UNESCO folks. And virtually, uh, and, too, yeah, you know, building that yeah, trust yeah, online. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Actually, those first two meetings were in person. I think I was at the San Diego one. It might have been my Quite only possibly. trip as a fellow, and I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> the, as a result of that, uh, and this was literally right before everything closed down for the pandemic, we decided to host the first Foundations Dialogue, and it took place in, in Copenhagen. And I was, in fact, supposed to to fly there. I was in a, a meeting in Puerto Rico and, and was supposed to fly from Puerto Rico to Spain uh, and then on to Copenhagen. And Spain uh, uh, was was the you know one of the epicenters of the, the pandemic. And so I started getting messages of you know we, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that. And so I ended up canceling my participation, but I did have two of our other um, Ocean Foundation staff from Europe uh, attend that meeting, and it got this launched, and it included, for the first time, some of the European foundations, and really began a, a, a 
strong conversation. And I think that we're now going to use philanthropy to incentivize the kind of, of public and private investments needed, both for top-notch science and management, but also to support a blue economy and get it real sustainability. Yeah, and that's crucial. And that's something I hadn't really thought about until you just mentioned it. So these, you know, what was it, 18 philanthropic foundations that came together as part of this Buchnadel statement, is it are they very global in nature, the the foundations? Yes, absolutely. I mean I'll step take one step back here very quickly, but you know, the United States has a very amenable tax code for philanthropy. Uh, the UK, a couple other countries do as well. A num- many country most countries around the world do not. And so philanthropy as a result is heavily from you know, obviously from wealthy uh, developed countries by dint of what's going on, but there are philanthropies in every country around the world. And there are participants in the foundation's dialogue from around the world. And we hope to engage more and more. In um, Rabat, we had uh, foundations from uh, Morocco, from Europe, uh, from North America, um, think we may have had one uh, from from Asia, um, but we believe that we can expand this as as we we work hard at at reaching out to them. That's fantastic. So, tell me a little bit more about this statement. You know, these conversations have really led to the release of it before the UN Ocean Conference this year. Why was that such a significant achievement? Explain, you know, how how it came to be and why releasing it at the UN Ocean Conference and you know the story behind it a little bit. So what's really fantastic about the conversations that the foundations had with uh, our partners at UNESCO was the recognition that some of the early endorsed projects under the the ocean decade were from the usual suspects, North American and European ocean science institutions. And there are great projects, don't get me wrong, and they're great institutions, don't get me wrong. But, you know, how do we get the rest of the world involved? How do we make sure that the scientists in uh, lesser developed countries, small island developing states, um, and, and other places around the world who need sustainable development, who need a blue, healthy blue economy, who need a healthy ocean, are actually engaged. And we decided that this could be the niche that philanthropy could really play. And so the Buchnadel statement talks about philanthropy, you know, supporting the co-design of scientific projects, the co-development of scientific projects, the capacity building of science in LDCs and SIDS. Uh, lesser developed countries and small and developing states and figure more acronyms of the uh, month. I yep. love it. <laughs> Anytime you get anywhere near the UN, it just starts rolling. That's why it's, st- yeah, I started that near the beginning of the podcast is really making a point to point those out just of how <laughs> it's just how the UN operates. And it's a funny, fun part of the decade. <laughs> so true. So true. So anyway, the the significant achievement here was coming together between 
the UNESCO IOC folks and the philanthropies to find this place where we could, you know, use our funds, our our uh, expertise in getting grants to lesser developed countries and small undeveloping states around the world to move this all into alignment with the goals of the ocean decade. And I think we decided that we could put together this statement and we spent a lot of time thinking about what would go in the statement before and during the um, meeting in Morocco so that we could announce it at the UN Ocean Conference. And we're, we're very, very pleased with the, the statement and uh, that all of those foundations who were there signed on to it, uh, and 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 a few others, frankly, who couldn't make it to to Morocco, um, and I hope we can enlist others to join us as we go forward. Yeah, that's so fantastic, and it it is great that it's such a global foundation conversation near the start, you know, and and has been for a while. I, I hadn't realized actually about the different ways that. You know, countries are well set up for philanthropy, um, but you know, making sure that even philanthropy in countries that don't have that set up, how can we make sure that you know, funding the Ocean Decade works for all? You know, you have to have solutions, even where the tax code, you know, isn't amenable to to philanthropy. Absolutely, and and including creating the environment. Right? Can we help build sustainable blue economy? in these countries so that they begin to have the revenues so that maybe, you know, somewhere down the road, they have businesses that are so successful that they can set up foundations and exercise local philanthropy. Yeah. And I've never actually, I don't know if there's numbers on this, but I would assume that many of the, you know, obviously small island developing states, but less developed states too, probably most of them are coastal in some way, you know, so the ocean needs to be a huge part of how they sustainably develop toward, you know, their own goals and our, you know, universal climate goals. Absolutely. So after this statement, uh, what's next for these dialogues and how can the foundations and, and the rest of us who are really interested in this transition from words uh, and assurances of funding to action? Simple answer is show me the money. Um, <laughs> you know, we have to have money to back up a statement like this. And so we've been meeting nonstop. My organization, the Ocean Foundation and the Linfest Ocean Program have been sort of leading an effort to design what's called a funders collaborative. So just imagine it's a pooled fund where a whole bunch of people put money into a bucket and then jointly use that money to accomplish something. And so we have have hosted funders collaboratives uh, over the years to work on you know uh, the the biodiversity beyond national jurisdiction uh, negotiations and and all kinds of things, and so we've agreed to host a f- fund, a pooled fund, and Linfest Ocean Program staff and our staff have been working together to design it so that it will accomplish what the Buchnadel statement envisioned. And we have another meeting this Thursday to to continue the conversations among all of the foundations 
and we really hope that you know that at least all or or all plus more or some of the foundations who signed the statement decide to contribute to this pooled fund and then we will have actual money to begin to trigger these actions and hopefully think about it in a blended finance way so that our spending triggers money from those other sources and is aligned with uh, government concessional funding and, and other forms of funding so that we leverage our money to draw Mon- much more money from other sources. Yeah, I was going to ask how, you know, governments are already putting money into certain things. And so it's it's hard when this is a global effort and no one is awake at the same time to talk on Zoom calls or you're flying around the world and then trying to talk in a room to coordinate and making sure you're not duplicating efforts with, with the money you're giving. And how do you, you know, come up with those priorities and how do you keep in conversation with, with governments? And it's not not an easy job. <laughs> It is not. It is not. And and you, know, in a in a funny sort of a way, the pandemic allowed us to continually circle the globe and talk to people all around the planet um, in a constant fashion. And you know, it we need to learn some lessons from the pandemic and and how it enabled broader conversation uh, and broader participation in meetings uh, because it be, made some things more accessible to people who couldn't otherwise afford to fly there and travel there. Yeah, definitely. This, uh, this podcast, you know, was born during the pandemic and it's been a fun way to get to tell stories and meet people. I've done a podcast now on every continent except Antarctica, and that's a harder one to do, but maybe while people are there, you know, over the summer, (laughs) when they summer there during our winter or, you know, like that, we can, that might be an interesting goal. Ocean decade takes Antarctica, but (laughs) Outstanding. So going back broader and speaking about the ocean decade overall here, like I said in my introduction, you're involved in the ocean decade in all sorts of ways, you know, on the U.S. National Committee and through the Ocean Foundation. What would be a successful ocean decade, according to you, by the time we reach 2030? So I think that lies in the phrase, you know, for sustainable development, right? We all you know, are aware of ocean science that has been, you know, going on in our universities and and elsewhere for decades. We've seen it develop into, you know, powerhouse institutions like Scripps or Woods Hole and uh, Florida and and Plymouth and, and you name it. And some of that has been uh, pure uh, discovery. Um, some of it has been, you know, helping us to understand the ocean. What's different about the decade is that we want to do ocean science for sustainable development and have it be the the foundational underpinnings of a sustainable blue economy. And that means that we, at the end of this, the uh, 2030, we should have a better understanding of the ocean, but a better understanding of how to make the ocean healthy so that all of those natural ecosystem services it provides, we talked about food, 
Uh, we've talked about uh, nat natural systems that prevent shoreline erosion from storm surges. You know, how do we make sure all of those things are healthy and doing their job and therefore in turn support a blue economy? Yeah, I remember because uh, the the title of the ocean decade is quite long. You know, the decade of ocean science for sustainable development. And some people, when I would first when I first started working on this, would say, "Oh yeah, the ocean decade for science" or something like that. And Craig would be so adamant about you need all of it because it's not just science for science sake. We don't live. Some people live in that world, and I think the people who do do science for science sake are so important. But we have to think broader than that. Now <laughs> we're in like we're in a climate emergency where the ocean is a huge part of how we contribute to our our continued existence on this planet. And so it has to be the for sustainable development part. Absolutely. I, I think that that if we lo lose sight of that clause in the title, we're going to lose everything. So I've learned so much about <laughs> philanthropy from, you know, preparing for this this episode and listening to you and chatting today. So what is one thing though you'd like people to leave listening to this episode knowing about philanthropy in general or philanthropy for the ocean in particular? What's a takeaway that would be really important for you? I think the main takeaway is you hear about all these foundations, you hear about Bezos, you hear about, uh, you know, uh, Packard and, and Gordon and Betty Moore and, and other philanthropists who care about the ocean uh, or who don't. And it sounds like such huge money. But fundamentally, if you compare it to the global economy, it's not a lot of money. And so thinking about how to deploy it strategically and leverage it to do good, to seek sustainable development, to support a blue economy is what we've got to do because we are up against a lot of, as I mentioned earlier, the ocean economy that perhaps is not sustainable, um, that is extractive, that um, yet still makes, you know, somebody money. And so, you know, focusing on, on things to make the world better, you know, can sometimes be a challenge. And I think, therefore, what I want people to take away is we have to be very strategic about spending in order to create leverage to end up with the accomplishments of the science we need for the ocean we want. I just, yeah, I quickly Googled because I was remembering what you were saying earlier about, you know, where funding go goes to like athletic departments. So the University of Alabama, which I think a lot of, I, when I was thinking college football, for some reason, they popped in my head first. I wonder why. <laughs> and they have an <laughs> operating budget of like $180 million for a single fiscal year to play college football. Like, <laughs> that's slightly horrifying when you think about, you know, how much great money that you've raised in the Ocean Foundation for, you know, 20 years. And we, we toss footballs around for that and like, oh, that's just an interesting way to think about it for people. I know that football is very American, uh, but it's still, yeah, crazy to think about how underfunded 
ocean work is and how strategic we have to be, at least for the time being, until we can really open up the taps to these other, you know, types of money that you were identifying that we are undertapped, I think, now. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So where can the audience go to learn more about the Ocean Foundation and your work on the Ocean Decade to stay up to date about these conversations? So uh, our website is www.oceanfdn.org, and you will find information there uh, about our work on the the Ocean Decade. You will find uh, the presentation I gave uh, in in, uh, Buchnadel on using uh, blended finance. Um, and, and as well as, uh, some of our, um, research papers and, and other materials on the blue economy, on blue bonds. Um, uh, we, we have an entire sustainable blue economy page, so we're happy to share anything, uh, that you find on our website and our, our work on, on the, on the decade. We even, uh, have, a nice summary of, of uh, our experience at uh, the UN Ocean Conference uh, that we just posted uh, a week or so ago. Well, that's fantastic. You took your time. I tried to, uh, <laughs> I rushed one out for my work with the Aspen Institute right afterwards, and I could tell how tired I was when I <laughs> was writing it. But you took your time, especially because you had so many team members, you know, to yep. really consolidate all those different findings. Yep. Yep. Absolutely right. Bringing all the threads together. Yes. Uh, and that's what you do, you know, through through your work at the Ocean Foundation. Thank you so much for for coming on and and talking about this really important, but not as you know, flashy bit of the Ocean Decade. And I can't wait to you know have you back on to talk about how this fantastic funders collaborative goes, and you know what kinds of work you're working on funding. And yeah, we didn't even get into blue bonds. That could be, <laughs> you know, a whole other conversation, but. Thanks for bringing this to to the podcast and really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me and I'd be happy to help with any other topic that I know something about, (laughs) at least. Which is probably a lot of them. If we picked an ocean topic out of a hat, you could probably talk for 10 to 15 minutes about it intelligently before people realized that (laughs) maybe it was something you didn't know anything about. (laughs) The ability to artfully bullshit is one of our best (laughs) qualities in a career i think (laughs) well thank you mark thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk to you all next month